Knowing the headlines isn't always enough. Sometimes you need to talk about it. For stimulating conversation on the day's hot topics, this is your station. This is your show. The Ryan Jesperson Show on 630 Chen, Edmonton's breaking news and conversation station. It's 10.07 on this Thursday morning. Thanks for tuning in. We wanted to leave room to breathe here. So this hour is literally wide open. This hour is yours. The phone number is 780-496-0063. You can text us to 630-630. If you're just joining us, we spent about 20 minutes right off the top of the show presenting an interview, an exclusive one-on-one with Premier Rachel Notley. We then caught up with Dan Kelly, President and CEO of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. His response to a meeting with Alberta's Finance Minister, Joe Sisi, who, by the way, will speak with us in about an hour and 20 minutes. We want to know your take on what you've heard. Bill and Jeanette and Richard have been patiently holding the line. Bill, we'll kick it off with you. What's on your mind? Uh, morning, Ryan. Morning. Uh, what I got out of that interview with uh, with the Premier was that, you know what, she really doesn't care about Alberta. She's got her own agenda, and it's all about her party and saving face and basically saving her character. I just I just don't see any any hope for the average Albertan here, unless you're a civil servant, in making this province grow. This province does not need a handout. It just needs a couple pipelines. That's all. Thank you. Yeah. Bill, is that the end of your call? Yes. Okay, I appreciate the comment. Thanks very much. And 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 that's the question. I mean, that's what that's what I was getting at when I asked Rachel Notley how much of your personal political success is tied to the success of Energy East. And we could talk about Kinder Morgan and Keystone XL and Northern Gateway and we could talk about other pipelines, but the one that everybody's talking about right now, maybe because it seems the most doable, Maybe because it seems the most realistic. Maybe because right now it's in the review process with the NEB now speaking to indigenous communities. Rachel Notley wants pipelines. She's said it herself. So if you take her at her word, she knows she needs them. I mean, you think that Joe Cece wants to step in front of Albertans and say, we're looking at a $10.5 billion deficit? Of course not. They need resource revenue. They need Albertans working so they can collect tax revenue. They want it to happen, but they want it to happen in the way that they see it happening. And that is, in their words in a feasible, sustainable, environmentally responsible way. And that's exactly their perspective in negotiations, in messaging, as we can understand, in relations with the federal government. It's drastically different than how Brad Wall's making the argument just east of here. And we made that point to the Premier as well. If you missed the interview, you can find it at 630ched.com. It's also on our uh, 630ched YouTube channel. Jeanette calling in from Stony Plain this morning. Good morning to Stony Plain. Good morning. How are you? Not too bad. And I uh, just want to start out by saying thank you, Ryan, for being a forum for thinking Albertans. My goodness. I appreciate that. Um, I I am very deeply disturbed about a whole lot of things going on since I voted NDP. Never, never, ever again. But I want people... Oh, I really appreciated Mark Schultz on Tuesday. I thought he was... He was good, wasn't he? He was erudite. He was... Oh, I, I mean, he was authentic. He was very... 
he wasn't pandering a bunch of BS. Yeah, Jeanette, okay? let me just bring our listeners up to speed. Mark, of course, is steering the ship over at the Canadian Association of yeah. Oil Well Drillers, talking about his oil respect campaign. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and I, I just want people, just put this, I just want people to think a little bit back to when the railroad was built across this country by the federal government, okay? It went over hill and dale, over mountain and from sea to sea. There was not an indigenous person that could stop it. There was not a, a mayor that could say, we don't want your oil, we'd rather get it from Nigeria, etc. It went from sea to sea, and it united and joined this country, and it has been responsible for the prosperity all across Canada. Where would we have been without it? The pipeline is like a railroad. It is essential for this country to have access to foreign markets, etc., etc. Now, I have a question. Why do we review the reviews that are voluminous? They're voluminous. I don't know. It's 3,000, 30,000, whatever the pages are. It's already been done. And I believe that we're into stalling tactics with Justin and, and, and also Rachel. And if it stalls much longer, I mean, uh, it's not looking good, Ryan. Well, then, Jeanette, keep good. this in mind, though. I mean, when you talk about governments, they can say all they want about not paying attention to approval ratings, and that may very well be true right now. But once mm-hmm. people start talking about elections, mm-hmm. they care. And what do people mm-hmm. care most about? What impacts approval ratings more than anything? Mm-hmm. It's unemployment numbers, right? Mm-hmm. It's government revenue. It's things like deficits. And as we look at Alberta's deficit ballooning to way bigger than anybody oh. thought, as well as the federal budget as well. We heard from Bill Morneau wow. just a couple of days ago. I mean, nobody said $20 billion, Jeanette, but they're inching closer and closer to that. Maybe the conversation will that. change on pipelines. It's going to be way above that. I urge everybody to look up respectforoil.ca, like Mark said. And there's some other, there's some other people floating other ideas around Alberta. I've never... Ever, not even with Redford was I so upset, but I was upset with her, too. But yeah. this, is, this is really something. Jeanette, I just want to, just a tiny little correction. It's oilrespect.ca. I said That's that, the website. I? Well, it doesn't matter. Hey, yeah. I really appreciate your yeah. call. I, thank you, Ryan. Thanks for taking the time. That's Jeanette out of Stony Plain. Richard's been hanging tight. Our buddy in Calling Lake, how are you? Uh, good morning, Ryan. Thanks for taking my call again. Yep. Um, well, we're doing it. And we're doing it again. And I made reference to previous calls regarding Denmark. There, uh, I misquoted it last time. Actually, I said it was a billion-dollar deficit or um, surplus. They are approaching a one trillion-dollar surplus. Now, okay, of course, they're not as large as we are geographically, but theoretically, every man, woman, and child there would be millionaires if they cashed in that surplus. What are they doing right? And what we're doing right now, squabbling, how can you blame the NDP for 44 years of conservative mismanagement? You know, she's just becoming a scapegoat. Okay, they're not uh, following or on track with what they promised, but, you know, we're squabbling just within Albertans. And then nationwide, now with this Trans-Pacific Partnership with the TPP, whatever it's called, why is it we give all our resources away for next to nothing, and then these multinationals, you know, they they refine them, 
they finish them and sell them back to us at like way the markup. The the system is I don't know what Canadian the Canadian government is doing wrong, but the system is not working. Why we have a, like the just so resource wealth? Why are we in in debt? Like I think the Canadian government's got to be what a couple trillion in the hole now. It just frustrates me. Yeah, so, yeah, here, listen, in the interest of a fair conversation and fair evaluation of government, Richard, I think that there's a couple of things, and, and I don't know if we can all agree on them, but let's make the point that regardless of who our provincial government is, and you can say the same thing about the feds, the price of oil would most likely be the same, the Canadian dollar would most likely be the same, so then we have to look at government policy over things like economic stimulus, tax, business retention, business attraction, and then that's how I think we can fairly evaluate how a government's doing despite circumstances or in the midst of circumstances outside of its control. And the reality, though, is no one seems to want to address it, but it's the corporations that tell government what to do. Like, we basically answer to the Do you get that sense with this provincial government? Uh, Just just the Canadian government in a whole. Like, And I'll refer to a company way back in the 50s, the Avro Air. Uh, if you're familiar with that story, yeah. it actually did a two-part miniseries on TV. Anyhow, we would have been the leaders. Here's an example of how these other countries dictate to us what we do with our own resources. We would have been the leaders in aerospace technology. Then for Diefenbaker, for no rhyme or reason, scrapped the aero, destroyed the prototypes. All that brain power went to the States, and then NASA, not much later, was formed. I mean, it's just crazy. We we just we have all this, again, resources. We have all this brain power. We're losing it because we're just we're just here for resources. Other countries siphon it off, and again, just sell it back to us in a finished product. Why? And again, Denmark, one approaching one trillion dollar surplus. I can't figure that one out. Thanks for giving us a lot to think yeah. about, Richard. Yeah, Thanks. thinking back to 1959, uh, one of the, I mean, people call it still a source of political intrigue and controversy, the, the move by Prime Minister Diefenbaker to cancel that CF-105 jet fighter program and, and invest in the American defense plan by acquiring those uh, American missiles. That's one that I think a lot of people have been trying to solve through the years. Uh, if If you ever want to take the time Head on down to the uh, Aviation Museum of Alberta along the Kingsway and ask for Tom Hendricks. Uh, I'm sure he'll be tickled that we're mentioning this. This guy lives and breathes aviation history. That is an incredible resource in the city of Edmonton, an incredible resource for our province. That I, that I, If you haven't been to the Aviation Museum, swing on by. It's an incredible way to spend a couple of hours. Mark's been holding the line. Hi, Mark. Hi there, Ryan. How's it going today? Doing well. You? Pretty good. I'm a big aviation fan myself, so it's pretty uh, amusing to hear you talk about that. Yeah, well, I don't know too much about it, but it's always sort of gained my interest anyway and kept it. Well, a lot of people don't realize that a lot of very uh, high-end, cutting-edge projects were cut around that time around the world. The Americans actually had an aircraft called the YF-107 that pretty much blew the arrow out of the water, and it was cut at the same time. Really? Yes, it was. Okay, I'm writing that down to Google it later. You would, even if you have only a passing interest in aviation, it's quite an amusing, uh, interesting looking aircraft, but it was cut because it cost a lot of money. Same with the Avro Aero. Hmm. The reason they cut it primarily was not because Diefenbaker sold us out, although I don't agree with the whole tobacco with the Bomark program and all that. 
but it was simply cost costing Canada way too much money, and there was rumors that it was infiltrated, the program, by the Soviets. And a lot of people will point to later projects by the Soviets that may or may not, still hasn't been proved, show parts that bear an awful similarity to the arrow. What, in the MiG jets? Yes. Oh, really? Particularly the MiG-25. Wow. They're not related, obviously, but... Mark, something tells me you'd be a good guy to go shoulder to shoulder with at a cocktail party. Perhaps. (laughs) Hey, what prompted your call this morning? Well, what prompted my call, first of all, I wanted to uh, say I was very impressed by the interview simply because normally I don't see eye to eye with you on a lot of things, but I was impressed that you did put the screws a little bit to our premier, and she obviously didn't seem to like it, just like Dell said. What's the observation I wanted to make is it seems to me that Premier Notley was the kind of person who was not told no as a child. It seems to me that she doesn't like hearing the word no or people telling her something contrary to what she believes in. And I've gone on record on the 630 chat page before saying that it's, you know, it's important if you want to be a politician, shake the bad with the good, plain and simple. If you can't handle a little bit of criticism, especially in a time like this when people are losing jobs and they're upset, then maybe you shouldn't have been a politician in the first place. But within, with the thing about Premier Notley, it's kind of spooky to me. I met Alison Redford a few years ago at a military function, and she did not... Did you ever have a teacher's assistant or a teacher that gave you that, well, I'm the, I'm the teacher, I know best attitude? <laughs> that was the attitude I got immediately right off the bat, that institutional entitlement and arrogance from our former premier. Hmm. And it seemed, what's spooky to me is seeing that she's, our current premier, Premier Notley, seems to be giving us that same sort of, it, it gives me that same sort of taste. And to me, I haven't been in Alberta all my life, but it seems to me that I'll, the one thing that Albertans don't like in politics is arrogance. If a politician were to screw up, generally Albertans are pretty good people. If you came out and said, well, hat in hand, I'm sorry, I screwed up. Here's what I'm going to do to fix it. A lot of people wouldn't jump down your throat and yell about it. Ralph Klein. Yes, you admitted your mistake, you owned up to it, and you told people what you were going to do to be doing better in the future. It's just like what anybody would do at any workplace. If something happens, goes wrong. You say, well, sorry, boss, I screwed up. This is this is what I'm going to do to fix it. Well, don't do it again. Let's let's get back to work. But it just, when I watched, when I heard you, I listened to the whole interview, and it was that same sort of, she jumped around to your questions, just like, just like the olden days, listening to the old politicians when they, they just couldn't give you a straight answer. And if you dare to question them, well, I know best. Hmm. I'm the premier. But, I mean, I I liked that interview. You did a pretty good job. Thanks. And, hey, listen, I appreciate you listening to the show, even though we don't always agree. I think if if, I've said it time and time again, Mark, if if somebody always agreed with me, I think that would be a pretty boring relationship. Yeah, I don't think. You see a lot of times where you you go online and there's this big hug box of people, just an endless circle of, you're doing your best, you're the best, no one... No one disagrees. Yeah, I forget about that. And it, yeah, I'd rather have somebody telling me when I'm wrong or when I screwed up, so I know how to what to focus on, what to fix in the future. I appreciate you contributing to this conversation, Mark. Thanks very much. 
Thank you very much. Have for a great time, day. Uh, I heard an interesting story, and, and Sandra and Tony and Carl and James, and we're going to get to all of you. Don't worry. We've still got 40 minutes of open line time here. An interesting story from Ray Martin a while ago. You remember Ray. He used to lead the, the provincial NDP, and, and, and you know Ray, of course, now serving on Edmonton's uh, school board as a trustee. And uh, We were sitting on a panel together a while ago. He told me the, a pretty amusing story when Grant Notley, when our premier's father was still involved in provincial politics, prior to his, his his tragic end in that plane crash. And, and he was at a community forum somewhere up north. I don't remember the exact details of the story. And this young gal, and you're probably already fast-forwarding to the end of the story, aren't you? This young gal stood up in the back of the room and said, Mr. Notley, what do you say to parents that refuse to contribute to the costs of their children's post-secondary education? And the whole room went, ooh, and kind of looked back to Grant Notley as everybody slowly realized that it was his daughter, Rachel, that was grilling him about the personal nature of their finance structure within the family, specifically the payment of her school tuition. And she was choosing that community forum to hold dad accountable. So I don't know if Mark's assertion is fair that no one ever said no to Rachel Notley. That anecdote suggests to me that she was encouraged to make her own way. Regardless, though, appreciate Mark's opinion. We'll fit in a quick break. Sandra's first in line when we get back. We're talking about the premier and pipelines, the economy, and a whole bunch of other things. Sandra's been patiently waiting to chime in. Hi, Sandra. Hi. Um, There is a couple things. Um, When you did that interview with uh, Premier Notley, and she's talking about how she's, you know, sticking up and Brad Wall, you know, is being more forceful. But I have never heard her say anything to Trudeau about the extra conditions that he put on really as a delay. This will never get done and it won't ever get done under Notley either. And even when um, the finance minister came out and said, you know, we're not going to raise taxes. Well, of course not. You've already raised them. Are you, you know, talking about implementing a sales tax? Yeah, well, sales tax and, and whatever else they can dream up to get more money. Really, all they're looking for is their own little agenda. And you could see that even every election, the federal election, the B.C. election. Where were her ministers? Were they working in Alberta that they were supposedly getting paid for? No, they were out campaigning for uh, other provinces and even the federal NDP and even, um, you know, going to fundraisers. They shouldn't be doing that. Mm. Like, why was that minister in, in B.C. campaigning against the craziest activist there is against pipelines? But Lori Sigurdsson you're has, talking about, yeah. Yeah, and yet she says, oh, I do want pipelines. No, you don't. Yeah. Like, how about sticking up for Albertans? And sticking up for our environmental record. They're making, they've always made us out to be that all we want is money, that we don't care about the environment. And I'm sick of that. I really am. I'm just sick of everyone condemning us. And who's sticking up for us? Oh, Brad Wall. Hmm. Well, I mean, and and like uh, our previous caller suggested, I thought Mark Schultz did a good job representing yes, the oil well drillers earlier this week. And it's about time that somebody starts saying exactly what this oil is bringing us. Because you can tax us to death, but if there is no money left, no one's even talking about the coal mines that uh, Notley is planning to shut down, and yet they're clean. 
Mm. Well, cleaner, How about we talk yeah. about China and India? How about yeah. we talk about the ones that are the big problems? Sandra, you've given us 100 things to consider, and I appreciate it. Thanks for calling in. Okay. Have a great morning. Here's the news. Call 780-496-0063 or text 630-630 and join the conversation. The Ryan Jesperson Show on 630 Chat, Edmonton's breaking news and conversation station. We were out of the gates this morning speaking with Premier Rachel Notley and we've left the phones open. The floor remains yours looking for your response to what you heard. If you'd like to chime in on something else as well, of course, there's always spin-off when we start to discuss these things. Feel free to give us a shout. You can text us as well to 630-630. Tony, first in line. Hi, Tony. Hi, Ryan. I'll, I'll make it real quick, just about the pipelines. Um, if we get these made uh, and built... Will, will it be for the next oil, which is water, one day? Ooh, interesting question. You're just going to leave it open, Tony? Yes, sir. That's all I'm asking, yes. Yeah, well, I mean, well, I mean, obviously designed right now, we're talking about moving bitumen out of Alberta. But, yeah, you can't ignore the fact that, that water, people know the importance of that resource, will increase and increase as time goes on. And as Canadians, we've got a significant resource to protect there. Well, that is the next oil, basically. Because uh, California needs it, I'm, I'm sure of that. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, there's already discussion there, and, and and there's already debates going on with regards to water rights. I mean, Tony, about, uh, what was it, about 10, 11 years ago, I was working as a reporter in Red Deer, and I can tell you that plans to divert from the different rivers that are flowing through northern, central, and southern Alberta to, for irrigation projects. There was that development outside Balzac, just north of Calgary, that involved a river diversion that people were flipping out about. These, I mean, if you start looking into water rights, you, you'll find a lot of information. These debates and, and, and some pretty spiritual ones that that are already happening because in the beginning in free trade like from Mulroney way back when uh, they tried to throw water in there but they weren't supposed to but it got entitled into into it oh, which uh, I'd have made to a lot of people that. very unhappy yeah interesting yeah. point to make Tony thanks for calling in okay appreciate that Carl holding the line out of Beaumont this morning hi Carl hi how are you doing well what's uh, what's on your mind Okay, that guy who called about the Denmark, every day in the millionaire thing. Richard, uh, yeah. Yeah, this meme is driving me crazy, so I, I'm hoping to put a bullet in its head, at least on this program. Well, the one thing we've got to discern is is whether or not Richard's talking about Denmark or Norway, because well, both are oil... Well, first of all, he's not talking about Denmark, he's talking about Norway. Well, I don't know if he is or not, but... Uh, he he isn't. I can. T- I'm I'm of Danish extraction. I would have heard. Of, I would have known if Denmark had a one trillion dollar surplus. Me they too, don't. Carl. We'd be they looking don't. for our checks, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's right. Uh, so yeah, I suppose just for anyway. Um, he's talking about Norway. I'm pretty sure about that. Secondly, it's not a one trillion dollar surplus. It, they've got a trust fund, and it's somewhere I think in the neighborhood of seven hundred million or seven hundred billion or something like that. But it's not dollars. It's it's kroner, which is the Norwegian currency. So every Norwegian is a millionaire. Yeah, a million kroner, which is about $200,000. Still not anything to sneeze at. And I'm not meaning to say they've been doing a bad job, but there's a few other things that got to be put out there. First of all, Norway is a nation right. of 5 million people, about half the land area of Alberta. Alberta is a province of a little under 5 million, somewhere under 5 million people, um, with a huge amount of land area. Norway doesn't have near the amount of roads and the infrastructure to put in as we do. We are in a nation of 35 million people. Um, 
Alberta has contributed some $250 billion, as I understand it, into the equalization program. In other words, we're supporting a bigger bunch of people than Norway, okay? The other thing is, Norway's oil is offshore. It's easier to get to. It not only is it at tidewater, it's on tidewater, if you will. Alberta's oil, when it's like when we're talking $30 oils are in Alberta, what we're actually getting after discounts and all that due to the high cost of transporting, it is about $14. So Norway has realized more per barrel off of their oil over all these years. And they've got a huge market right next door. It's comparing apples to oranges. I mean, I'm not meaning to say that the Norwegians have handled it badly. Maybe they have handled it better than us. And certainly I wish we would have put more away in the Heritage Trust Fund and all that. But you can't just compare a straight-across comparison like that. It's ludicrous. Yeah, no, Carl, you're 100% right. I mean, even just the fact that you're talking about a nation versus a province that has obligations exactly. to its nation is, is a big asterisk on the on the entire discussion. Yeah. Anyway. Thanks I, for calling I in. I appreciate that. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the show, Carl. Good morning to Beaumont. Rob, what's on your mind? Hey, great show as always. Thank you. Uh, the talk about the Canadian Pension Plan CPP there uh, uh, with your earlier guest, I wouldn't call it either a tax or a benefit. In, in essence, uh, they should just go to the lobby of the CPP offices and install a giant statue of Charles Ponzi, the man who invented the Ponzi scheme. The right. CPP is nothing but an intergenerational Ponzi scheme. How so? You, you pay into it. The amount you get out, out is is not is not what the amount you paid into it. It gets covered by people who are uh, later coming into it. Mm. Just ex- it's run exactly like a Ponzi scheme. The, there's a reason Ponzi schemes are illegal. They do they do not work. You're taking advantage of the people who get in late. The people who get in earlier taking advantage of the people who get in late. The difference between one and the free market and the CPP is I can't opt out of the CPP. If I find out uh, one in the private sector is a Ponzi scheme, I can I can get out of it. Rob, do you mind me asking how old you are? Uh, going to be 40 next month. Okay, so you and I are around the same age. I'm 38, and, and I don't know about you, but I've grown up. I mean, ever since the time that I sort of received my first paycheck with deductions, uh, I think that was right around as well the first time that somebody said to me, you're paying into CPP, but I sure hope you don't expect to collect anything from it. Yeah, exactly. Now, the, I hope that's the not po- the case. Yeah, the population is rising. The amount that's going to have to be paid out per person is going to be more than what you're putting in. The government's not investing that money in growing it. So they're going to have to take more and more from our kids to pay us. Uh, eventually, it's unsustainable. Eventually, they're they're just they're going to have to tax everybody at 100% to cover all the CPP, hmm. you know, 100 years from now. Like it it won't work. Yeah, unless they unless they sort it out, Rob. But it's you know what I mean. We could do well on this show to maybe dig a little bit deeper on that. So we'll put that on our working list, uh, guest wise and content wise. Rob, thanks for the call. Yeah, no problem. Thank Appreciate you very much. it. That's Rob calling out of Edmonton. Scott's holding the line, and we'll be first up right after this. Ten forty four on this Thursday morning, Scott. Look at a comment on what, Scott? The floor is yours. Hi, Ryan. How you doing? Doing well. You? 
Good. I really enjoyed the interview you had with the premier there today. I think you asked just some tough questions. And Thanks. Hey, Scott, just sorry to interrupt. Is your phone pressed against your face or something? Oh, I'm sorry. There you go. That's a little bit better. A bit better? Yeah, okay. that's a bit better. You bet. Okay. Uh, I really enjoyed the interview that you had with the premier today. I, I thought you asked some good questions, and uh, I thought you gave some good answers. Thank you. Um, I wanted to do a little bit of a history lesson for a lot of people that think that the Saskatchewan NDP government was a disaster under Roy Romano. Uh, basically, in 1991, when Roy Romano took over from the PC government there, the Saskatchewan government was $14 billion in debt. They were on the verge of default. You know, you had a government that was on the verge of bankruptcy. And that's what Roy Romano was up against. And they were the first province to actually run a surplus. And they were able to do it without making massive cuts, you know what I mean? Like they tried to, they had to close a few hospitals and make a few cuts to education, but uh, not the massive cuts that they made in Alberta. So they were able to keep some of those, you know, social programs running and help people out during the tough times. Hmm. And, you know, for Janice McKinnon's work and getting a balanced budget and paying off all that debt and getting Saskatchewan into a more respectable position, Janice McKinnon actually got awarded into the Order of Canada for her work. She wrote all about it in a book called Minding the Public First. Now, you know, hey, I appreciate when listeners put out books and, and films that they think that people should pay attention to. I mean, there's only so much ground we can cover here in these two, three-minute phone calls, Scott. What was that book called again? Minding the Public Purse by Janice McKinnon. Minding the Public Purse. Okay. Appreciate that. And uh, uh, by the way, I'll throw this in as well. A listener out of Red Deer says, uh, some of us would do well to read Confessions of an Economic Hitman. They said that we'll get some answers there. So there's a list of recommended readings. Scott, thanks for tuning into the show. I appreciate it. Thank you, Ryan. You bet. On the text line uh, to 630-630, Richard says, my Alberta fire is lit more than ever before right now. He says, I'm not necessarily condemning the NDP because, quite frankly, I don't think the PCs did a very good job sticking up for Alberta building pipelines either. Richard says, historically, to be honest, I've always kind of noticed and felt like Western Canada and Alberta in particular has kind of been picked on and looked down upon. He says, we have a lot of enemies here in Alberta because we fight back and we stick up for ourselves. And he says, they sure are coming out right now and taking advantage of us and taking swings at us. Richard says, whatever we do, we need to stick together. Not from Richard. I think there's some wisdom in that simple statement there. Another here says, I'm not sure, this is a listener out of Boyle, Brad, thanks for listening. I'm not sure what your callers mean when they keep referencing the NDP's own little agenda. He says, is the government not supposed to have an agenda? Are they suggesting the government is supposed to have no plan, no priorities, no vision, and just do whatever the noisiest part of the population clamors for? He says, agenda seems to be the term that people apply when the government's vision doesn't coincide with their own. That from Brad. Yeah, I mean, you're 100% correct. The word agenda is used almost exclusively in a negative sense, right? People talk about the gay agenda. I've seen gay agendas. They often start with Belgian waffles and espresso, 
move on to trips to the art gallery. Gay agendas are actually fabulous to stick to if you've got some free time. But in all seriousness, there's no such thing. But governments should have agendas. Brad's absolutely right. And this government, to its credit, and don't flip out yet, just to this government's credit, it's sticking to its guns on several unpopular measures, and they're doing exactly what they told us they were going to do on the campaign trail leading up to May 5th. So you can criticize them when it comes to timing. Now is not the time to increase taxes on corporations. Now is not the time to jack up the minimum wage. Now is not the time to conduct a royalty review. You can say whatever you like, and you're entitled to your opinion, and that's fine. But they said they were going to do all this stuff before people voted them in. That's their agenda, otherwise known as an election platform. Thanks for the text, Brad. We'll fit in the last break of the hour. We'll be back with more of your takes. The phone line's open right now, 780-496-0063. Looking as well for an update either next or at the top of the clock, that pedestrian accident. It sounds like maybe a person in a car will look to achieve details on Grote Road 111. That's a busy intersection. We'll see what we can find. We left this hour open. To give you the floor, and Frank's dialed in to 780-496-0063. Good morning, Frank. Hey, Ryan. How you doing? Doing well. You? Hey, I'm doing good, but I get frustrated listening to this government. You know what? We gotta, they got to get off their high horse. I, I, I would not mind paying some kind of a sales tax to get out of this mess that we're in. Instead of going on and raising taxes to businesses, the individual, just put in a sales tax. Get off your bloody whatever high horse they're on. Yeah, but you know, I mean, hey, Frank, and you're not alone in suggesting this. I'm torn on this, to be honest with you, because number one, it's been suggested that a, per percentage point on a sales tax, we'd see about a billion dollars in government revenue. So a 5% sales tax would make up about $5 billion, which would go a long way. In debt, Ryan? What's that? How much are we in debt? Well, we're, we're going to talk to Joe Cece in about, well, just over a half oh, hour's time, but they're looking at about a $10.5 billion deficit next year. They're saying that this year's, which wraps up at the end of March, would probably be about $6.3 billion. But, Frank, right. you've also got to consider a sales tax hits consumers, and there are a lot of people right now that haven't got a paycheck in months, and I just don't, I I don't know. know if it's the right move. I don't know. You know, Ryan, I have an illness, and I haven't worked in years. I'm just in the process of Flying for Asia. I don't want to sound like a victim here, but somehow I manage. I would even support a sales tax in that. And I'm, you know, and I'm applying for Asia. And I, I haven't worked for years because of my health issues. You know what I mean? I'll tell you, Frank. You don't hear many people on Asia saying they'd support a sales tax. I, I know, I know. But you know, I had my years of working hard until, you know, uh, the thunder hit, and I had to, you know, I'm in the position I am now. But yeah. a sales tax will not kill. Frank, you've given us something to talk about. We're going to pick up this conversation on the show in days to come. I promise you that. Thanks for calling in. Okay. Appreciate that call from Frank. The reason why I have to cut it short is because Ochiana Elwand, uh, joining us on the phone right now, of course, a reporter for the Edmonton Journal, who is, uh, as I understand it, Ochiana, at the scene of a motor vehicle accident involving a pedestrian on Grote Road and 111th Avenue. What can you tell us? Hi, Andrew. Yeah, I actually just left the scene, so I'm not there anymore, but I was there this morning. Um, we found out that uh, 
white pickup truck was turning left or eastbound onto 111th Avenue when the pickup truck driver struck a pedestrian who was crossing 111th Avenue at Grote Road. Um, and the woman, a senior, an 81-year-old, was actually, uh, she died in hospital oh. shortly after. So we just found that out from police. And, um, yeah, a lot of, I spoke to a lot of witnesses at the scene. They were very rattled by what they saw. It's a really busy intersection, and um, they saw it all happen this morning. Man, obviously upsetting for, for a lot of people, including the family of the woman that's passed. The police investigation, I imagine, uh, still underway. Is there any word on potential charges? Um, not yet. Um, the major collision investigation section was just arriving at the scene when I was leaving. Um, so we don't know anything about that at this point. But um, some of the witnesses said that it was horrifying. This is a quote that I got from one person. They said that how she was hit, it was like she was a rag doll. Oh, man. So, yeah, they reported sort of her being hit from the front of the truck and then her ending up at the back of the truck. So it seemed like it's possible the truck may have run over her and she ended up right behind it. Did you, so when did... I was there, I saw some blood on the sidewalk. There were bottles sort of scattered around and her glasses on the cement bottles were on the ground yeah like alcohol bottles bottles. no no not alcohol bottles like um refundables right and had witnesses mentioned whether or not there was a walk signal at the time that is still unclear i'm not sure exactly where she was in the intersection if she was between the white lines where exactly there but um it, it seems so from what the witnesses have told me she was just crossing the road when she was hit okay um yeah, so it's pretty upsetting for those people who saw that. Um, one witness told me that he saw what happened. He ran over, and he saw some blood in the woman's mouth. She was sort of breathing very faintly, and then an off-duty firefighter ran over and helped the woman and started CPR. He said, and this is another quote, um, the blunt force trauma was excessive from what I could see. Mm. These are never, uh, obviously, easy things to see and certainly never easy to report on. Ochan Elawan from the Edmonton Journal, thanks for talking to us. You're welcome. Thank you. You bet. After this news update, uh, we're going to talk to a couple guests here in studio, community activists. It's Black History Month, did you know? And then we'll talk to Joe Cece, Alberta's finance minister. That's coming up here on Chet.